Happy birthday to Rebel. Happy birthday to Rebel. Happy birthday, dear Rebel Business School. Happy birthday to you. Can you believe Rebel Business School is 10 years old? The Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast is three years old. We are aging. We are getting old. But that means we might have some stories to tell and some things to share. Welcome to a very special episode of the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur. So welcome to the show and to celebrate 10 years of the Rebel Business School. Who else would I do it with other than my business partner, my socio, socio, Mr. Simon Payne? I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of you or met you in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to the show. Uh, It's good to have you here. Um, Great to be here. I wouldn't miss it. I know. Can you believe this little thing we started 10 years ago has become a global movement? Can you believe we're even here, Simon? It's absolutely insane, Alan. I can't. And uh, it's so interesting. I regularly have conversations with people about, you know, hey, look, you know, if you've got a vision, great, but just go and sell one thing. Who knows where that's going to take you? Who knows what's <laughs> going to happen? You know, and I don't ever remember us having a conversation about, you know, a vision for the future, particularly. I, I, I know there was some, we wanted to do some cool stuff, but I think all of the focus was just in selling one, getting one delivered and seeing if we liked it and what we learned. And yeah, 10 years on, we're almost a grumpy teenager of a business. No, I can't believe it, actually. I feel very grateful and humble. It's been a life-changing experience for me, for you, for the people that have joined us on the journey for the members of the team um, and, you know, people that have been through the courses as well, you know. So I'm feeling quite reflective and a a little emotional, Alan. Oh, Simon, Uh, we all love you. It's going to be okay. I think (laughs) we've come a long way. Where that's got us to is you're in Birmingham with Henry and Jack and I'm in Mexico on the beach with Katie, which I'm sure you know you got the better deal there. It's similar. And let's go back right to the beginning, because I think there's some interesting bits. And everyone listening to this, all you rebel entrepreneur fans probably know my side of the story about me writing a letter to the British government and complaining about the quality of their business link service and how they nearly put me off starting a business by forcing me to take a loan and go into debt and write a business plan and all that jazz. You all know my side of the story, but I thought it'd be interesting to start with... Simon's side of the story. So Simon, I think like you were just sat at your desk at work one day when all of this began, weren't you? Minding my own business, Alan. Literally minding <laughs> my own business. You know what? I uh, I got hired by uh, the government service that you're talking about in 2008 because they realized that they were they were failing to reach a disadvantaged audience. They were failing to provide a service whereby people that were unemployed, people that came from you know different racial backgrounds, from different communities, people that were 
single parents, people that were disabled, you know, kind of society's marginalized folk, they realized the service wasn't reaching. So I got hired by, and we were very, very proud of the, being the naughty side of Business Link. You know, we were the, <laughs> we were the ones that, we were the ones that did things differently, that, that operated in a very different way. And, you know, at one point I towed a giant TV screen onto a council estate in Portsmouth and connected an Xbox to it and put Portsmouth v Man United on the screen as an experiment. Like, would that get people out of their houses? Would young people turn up and go, what the hell's a giant TV screen? Like, I did all sorts of random stuff like that. And it was a brilliant time, actually. But when when my boss came up to me, she's a lovely lady. We're still kind of in touch now. Lovely lady called Deborah. Deborah's, Deborah's walking towards me with holding pieces of paper right she's and she's coming she's making a beeline for where where my desk was in this sort of big open plan office and i saw her coming towards me i thought this would be an excellent time to do up my shoelace right so hide <laughs> so i bent down like i think you can see me now. i bent down and so i started doing my shoelace up like this and she was standing over me simon what are you doing down there and like, oh oh hi deborah um and she handed me this thing she said I've had a letter from somebody. It's gone to Glenn. Now, Glenn was the, the guy responsible for buying the Business Link service on behalf of the British government. And his name's Glenn. Glenn sent me this letter. Someone called Alan Donegan wrote him a three-page handwritten letter telling him how crap Business Link was. And because <laughs> Alan lives in Hampshire... We, <laughs> we, it's our responsibility to see if we can, if we can sort him out. I said, well, sort, when you mean, when you say sort him out, what do you actually mean by that? She said, well, yes. she Get said, well, have a read of the letter. And I said to her, like, who the hell writes a three page handwritten letter in 2008? Like we've had email for a good sort of 10 years by now, 15 years. Does, has he not heard of a computer? Can he not write an email like every other normal human? Why has he written it down? So I read this letter and I thought, blimey. I think it, that we have a saying where I'm from, which is, it's just called a hospital pass. Right? <laughs> so this is the kind of pass that's going to get me injured. So anyway, I, uh, I, I, I took the letter. I can't remember what happened. I think maybe I rang you or emailed you. We arranged to have coffee in a well-known uh, cafe in Winchester in the UK and I trundled up the M3 to go and see you that day and I arrived and I remember you were sat at the back of the shop busily working away on your laptop and this was to become a scene that uh, is now imprinted on my eyelids because I've seen that so many times in the last 10 years but you were you were uh, working on your laptop you saw me come in you guessed it was me you sort of stood up, took a deep breath. You know, you're a big guy, Alan. You know, like, I took a deep breath, your shoulders back, and your biggest smile on your face. And you opened your, your arms and you, you shook my hand and you said, Simon, what can I do to help you? But first of all, let's have a coffee. And I, I remember being really confused. Like, I mean, the coffee bit was the easy bit, but why are you asking if I need help? You're the one that wrote a three-page handwritten letter, pal. You're the one that needs the help, not me. I'm fine, thank you very much. <laughs> you know, and um, and I've I've only told that to you know a few times to our courses, but there was 
there was something very disarming and I didn't take that as a throwaway line. I felt that you genuinely meant it in that moment. Now, whether you did or not, who knows? You'll probably tell me in a minute. But yeah, and that's where it started. And we had, I remember I, I, I told you that at the end of that conversation, I remember saying there's a book you have to read because we talked and you hadn't read it. There's a book you have to read. It's called The 4-Hour Week by Tim Ferriss. It's right up your street. Uh, I think you should read that. We we decided on a few actions for both of us. You said, right, I'm going to go away and do this, this, and this. And I said, right, I'll go away and do this, this, and this. And that was the start of our of our friendship, hour, which um, which then we, we ran a few business projects together before Rebel happened. But that's where it all began. That's where it all began. And I remember sitting in those cafes talking about how education doesn't teach you what you actually need to know to be successful. And that was my big bit is school didn't teach me how to run a business or teach me sales or marketing or presenting or communication didn't teach me any of the things I use on a day-to-day basis. And neither did business link. They did more to put me off helping and we should teach people what they really need to know to get going. And that was my big thing. Like I want to help. I, we want to teach and I think our first idea was you and I were going to start an actual business school and at that point it was going to be called Rebel Business School and we were writing plans and thinking about how we could get a building and the the random guy from IBM who I love and I can't remember his name uh, got us a logo for the Rebel Business School. Kalian, his name is Kalian. Yeah, he was amazing, full he of was. energy and we're like, let's start it up. So we drew, drew up this plan. Uh, and the plan said we needed to borrow a quarter of a million pounds to start <laughs> to start a business. And I'm like, we're back in the same place borrowing money. We can't do this. We should borrow someone else's spaces and just pop up, Simon. Yeah, I remember that, Alan. I remember, I remember the conversation like, let's just pop up. And we, I think we both kind of went, ding, the pop-up business pop-up school. Business school. <laughs> let's <laughs> Let's park the rebel thing for now and let's just <laughs> pop up. You know, it's really interesting. I think the bit that I didn't know, and I think this is why, this is for a number of reasons why why we clicked both in terms of our personality, our complementary but different skill sets. But the bit that I didn't know, the bit that I did know was that was that if you're finding business a little harder because of your starting point and or because it's the first time that you've had a go at business, I knew that business plans and, and money wasn't the right place to start. Because I'd spent, mm-hmm. I'd run a few business projects prior to that with mixed success. And the very first one I call my £23,000 MBA, because like, I learned loads about starting. But that's what taught me. A whole, I had a giant list of things that don't work. So I, so I, but what, <laughs> but what I saw, and I think that's how I got into it. I was like, well, in 2008, when I got hired to, to be an enterprise coach, I'm like, this is brilliant. I can teach these people all of the things that I got wrong so that they don't make the same mistakes. They can make new ones. And then they can ring us up and tell us, hey, Simon, I've made a mistake. And that's how I got started. So I, I knew. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that's going gonna, gonna to be prickly on the ears of anyone that works in business support in any kind of way. Business plans are used as a tool to get rid of people that you don't know how to do, you know, don't, don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. To get to go, to go away, 
write a business plan because I've run out of ways of helping you. Go away and speak to a different organization because I haven't got the skills or the knowledge to be able to help you start. Business plans are like, a, I'm just going to park you over there because you ain't ever going to start a business, are you? And, and that it just sort of used to send people away. Now, so I knew that business plans were the wrong tool, but I didn't know. I didn't know the opposite. I couldn't, I hadn't figured out what the opposite was. And I think that's the thing that you'd figured out. And that the two together, if you know, if we took between us, we knew how to engage the disengaged. And we, we knew how to help people that were coming into business for the first time. We knew a bunch of stuff and we knew what the opposite of starting a business with a business plan and how to actually do it without money. The two things together, you know, plus a lot of coffee. That's how, that's, <laughs> uh, that's how we got going, right? That's the bit that, well, I, that was the, the big learning for me. I'm like, wow, what do you mean use your customers' money? What? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's the answer, you know. I was on a big sell before you create drive. Uh, that was the, and I, I say it a lot more eloquently now after we've reflected on it for many years, but that was the thing was like, sell it before you build it, get their money and then use it to do it. And I, I said to you, why don't we do that? Let's sell something. And at the time uh, there was austerity in the UK and there were all these sorts of measures. You said to me, the only people who've got money left are housing associations we should sell a course to housing associations. And I, at the time I had a, like a fledgling business where I was making okay money. At, like by the time we got to this point, selling presentation skills, training, time management training. And one of my clients was a housing association down in Western Supermare, Alliance homes. And I'd met most of the people there cause I'd run a lot of courses for them. And I said, well, let's go and see if they want to buy it. I'll set up a meeting. So I set up this meeting with a guy called Michael Williams. If you're listening to this, Michael Williams, I very much doubt you are, but like what a start that was. It was and in a hotel down. somewhere off the M5, wasn't it? I seem to remember. Yeah, and there was another lady there as well. But anyway, we went down and had this meeting and we talked about how to help people. And for whatever reason, Michael Williams had been trying to work with the local equivalent of Business Link and it hadn't necessarily worked. Uh, and he said, your course sounds great. Uh, send me a proposal. Um, so we wrote him a proposal, didn't we? Which was like, we could do a, a one-week course. I think it was like a three-day course, a one-week course, or a two-week course. And I heavily priced it. So he would go for the big version, the two-week course. And I was quite surprised. He went for the two-week course and... We set it up, and that was the first ever pop-up business school. Michael Williams, if you're listening, thank you for believing in us, because this global movement wouldn't have started. Maybe someone else would have believed in us eventually, but you gave us a start by giving us the cash, by doing it. And I remember asking, can we have the cash up front? Uh, and he looked a bit confused. Why do you want the cash up front, Alan? This is a bit irregular. And I said, well it would just help secure the dates. And he said, well, yeah, I can get it out in this tax year. And he paid us up front and we got the money and we set the date for October uh, 2012, wasn't it? October 2012 was the first ever yep. one. Actually, I think his, his eyebrows made a sound that he, he frowned <laughs> so hard, they crinkled. 
His, he had a crisp furrow. Yeah. He did. Still yeah. gave us the money up front. He did. He trusted us enough. We'd had plenty of meetings by then and phone calls and email back and forth. And we were shaping it with him, I think, which accelerated the trust. Because I remember... I remember sharing all the different titles of all of the different days of the two-week course, mm. which, of course, we were, we were making up as we went along. Like It was our best guess of what sounded cool. The content was probably kind of the same, although who knows because we hadn't written it yet. But we were sharing those, like, we could run this, we could run that. And uh, he kind of cherry-picked the ones that he liked the sound of the most. And then we added our thoughts. And then before you knew it, there was a two-week course co-created. Uh, all that we needed to do now was... Write, write and deliver the thing, I suppose. And I think we had the money in our account for about six months before we, we'd even written the course. Exactly. And the key thing was filling it with people. That was the biggest challenge. Like, how do we get people engaged? How do we get it out there? We learned so many lessons about promoting courses and getting people to turn up. I remember inviting you to my flat in Basingstoke <laughs> to sit on my cream leather couch and we forgot to check the background. And if you ever watch our first ever YouTube videos, it has all my dirty dishes in the background. Well, I think they were clean dishes. But anyway, we filmed a bunch of YouTube videos. You promoted it on Facebook, shared it everywhere. And 40 people showed up to that first course. Do you remember like being there an hour and a half before the course in a very strange woodworking workshop type space on the Bourneville estate in Western Supermare, thinking, what are we doing? Is anyone going to show up? I was faffing about sorting the flip chart out, putting projector up, like trying to keep myself busy so I didn't panic that no one was going to show up to this first course. And we were just praying that people would show up. They'd signed up for tickets, but that doesn't mean they'll show up. For sure. And I think the, uh, that, that, uh, that dusty disused community space at the back of a woodworking warehouse in a recycling center <laughs> on the edge of an estate, I mean, it, it didn't scream prestige, you know, it's, uh, uh, I'm not even sure if anyone knew that it existed up until we ran that course, to be honest, but no. I, and I remember, I, do you remember there was a couple of people from the housing association there there was a lady who was a champion darts player and then there was a guy called sam who was like the video mm. guy for the housing association linda they were just linda, as, linda yeah linda they were just as engaged as anybody and, they, and they did the whole course and, and they, they helped us and i think what was amazing was the the uh the mix of people backgrounds capabilities we had someone that has been made redundant from corporate world tony we had someone else that was a yoga teacher you know we had um someone that was a recycling expert we had an artist a photographer we had a a, a fire safety guy um graham who came with his graham story um, dennis yeah. the recovering, recovering the first addict. profit the first oh, the profit. first profit and the lasagna story that i told at every single workshop for like the next eight years Still telling it now. <laughs> it was just wonderful. It. It's like sell before you create, sell. And we learned so much. I think what I loved about that course and what I learned to love was you and I just had those people and every day we would teach them something and they would tell us their problems. And then in the evening over curry, we'd be going, how do we solve this? 
how do we fix it? What are we going to do tomorrow that helps unlock them, make progress? And that energy of creation just... I think we turned up just wanting to help meet people make progress. And that's still the key principle of the whole of Rebel Business School is I don't care, really. Don't tell the sponsors. I don't care if you want to start a business. I just want to help you make progress. I think this is, this is I've been thinking about this an awful lot lately because uh, of some of the corporate partnerships that we're developing. And the thing for me is, uh, let me tell you a quick story. So, so Kim in the team who, who does our marketing at Rebel. Kim went along to a, a meeting with a bunch of other uh, organizations that either work in or are connected to business support in a particular part of the UK, I won't name it uh, yet. Uh, in all the excitement, I choked. So so what happened was somebody said, during on the call, one of the professionals said on the call, oh, so you don't work with proper businesses then? What? Yeah, right. It's so interesting. And I think this is the, this is the fundamental thing for me. What we're doing, and I don't think I've ever understood this in so much depth before, we're redefining what it means to be an entrepreneur. Because the sector says you're only an entrepreneur if you start a certain kind of business in a certain kind of way that's going to create jobs, that's going to add rapid value. And it ignores the people who who want to be entrepreneurial come up with an idea, make their own money. And for some people making an extra 200 bucks a month is actually a life-changing number. It ignores them because these are the people that don't need a business plan. These are the people that don't need money. And maybe some of them will go on to create a bigger business in the future. But for most people, they just want freedom, right? And I think when we showed up just wanting to help anybody in the room make as much progress in their lives as they possibly can with an entrepreneurial mindset, regardless of what they what they came up with, what they decided to do, what they created. That to me was the magic of it because we're building it, we're properly building it around the people who come, not some other, someone else's agenda. You know what I mean? I'm having, I'm having I'm getting a bit ranty. I'm getting ranty, Alan. <laughs> uh, so what did you learn running that first course, Simon? What Nothing. Absolutely nothing, Alan. <laughs> I tell you, my, I, tell, I remember ex- my very first learning experience on that course was I stood next to you at the front. You were more of a seasoned presenter at that stage and, you know, were kind of leading the start of the session, which I was quite happy about because I didn't know what the hell to say. And you, and you stood up next, I'm stood next to you. I remember the moment there's 40 people sat down and you said, what's stopping you right and and I remember looking at you going what the hell are you doing asking them questions (laughs) (laughs) and and you like you seem to know what you were doing and I was thinking I was absolutely distraught I'm like you're asking them questions Alan what if they say something that I don't know what the answer is stop asking them questions and then that was my first learning experience the fastest way to engage an audience and actually working with you in those in those early days actually taught me a whole bunch of lessons about holding the attention of a diverse audience for six hours a day every day for two weeks very quickly I learned how to master presenting uh, and facilitating and training and mentoring I've done a load of coaching but not that much in front of a group so that that was super and that was my first learning experience. I've got a whole bunch of other examples, but what about you? What was the thing that you learned from that? 
Well, I think it was the biggest thing I learned from that very first course was we spent two weeks teaching them you don't need money to build a business. Sell, do this, do that. There are a million ways to start without cash. Then the housing association came in the end and go, we've got up to 500 quid to help you get going. And they immediately ditched everything we taught and went for the 500 quid because it's the easiest way is to get money just being handed out to do it. And the amount of times that happened to us, I remember in Croydon, the MP for the area came in at the end of the course. I'd spend two weeks teaching a course how to start a business for free. And they turned up and going, we're going to make it easier for you to access money to start your business. And everyone was clamoring for their details. And I just, I wanted to rip my hair out. I wanted to to stop the whole thing and go, what are you doing? Human nature is to take what is the perceived easy route. However, the perceived easy route is you get the 500 quid, you spend it, and then you're back to the position you would have been in the first place. So why not skip that pain, skip that debt, and just start with sales? But no one really wants to do that because it's perceived that's the easy route, that's the better way to do it. That's what you would do if you're a proper business, is borrow some money, da-da-da, all that stuff. And people want to take the easy route. And you lay out the other route and they just don't, want to take it and no matter how much you help how much you show there are some people who will literally say I will not do that I will only borrow money to start my business and that was my biggest learning like some people we unlocked and changed their lives they just it's unbelievable what's happened to them. And I'd like, when we put the post out about 10 years old Rebel Business School, I think seven or eight of the people from that very first course messaged me on that post saying, oh, I was there, I was sat in this row. And I was like, I remember you. I remember yeah. you sat there. There was Chris the Biker. There was Asha. There was Jackie Thompson. Yeah, just oh, amazing. Jackie Thompson. She found her husband because of the course. <laughs> we over delivered on that we over delivered <laughs> or under delivered I don't know um, anyway running that course changed everything for us however you disappeared afterwards Simon I did yeah I think I had no money I was literally like I was three months away from um, from not being able to pay bills and, and pay rent and all that stuff. And um, I didn't know that. No. And I think, do you know what? I don't, I don't ever remember us consciously going, we're starting a business. I remember us going, we've got this cool idea. We've both got loads of energy for it. Let's see if we can sell one. And I think one of my biggest learnings, I think it was through fear, is that I tentatively, I tentatively sold, you know, rather than going all in to sell. And actually, the other challenge, of course, is whether I went it, it all in or not, we're still looking at a three, four, five month sales cycle minimum, especially Every as we time. were doing something innovative. There wasn't anyone doing what we were doing with the audience that we were doing it. And there still isn't anyone that I've come across that teach in anywhere near the same way that we do. And which I think is quite remarkable. And I kind of like that. Hopefully no competitors are listening to this podcast. Otherwise we're giving them all, <laughs> the, all of our secrets away. 
bugger off and go and listen to a high performance <laughs> podcast or something. Don't listen to this anymore. It's going to get really boring. <laughs> but that's the bit for me. I was I was scared, and also, um, you know, so this was in two thousand and twelve. So 12. my Coming son up to was yeah. yeah, my son was nearly four. My my youngest son, sorry, my middle son was nearly four. Um, my eldest was something like nine and not being able to pay bills and so on. And actually, I remember at the same time, so I, I was working, I, I had a, a short a short-term role. It was supposed to be a long-term role, but I, I got hired as head of entrepreneurship for a very well-known college. In fact, at the time, it was mm. the top performing college in the UK. They hired me as head of center for entrepreneurship. And I was excited for that because they were going to give me some resources. They were going to give me a building. They were going to let me loose on the young people of Portsmouth in the UK to start businesses. And very quickly, I realized that some of what they told me was a lie. The culture was horrendous. And I, and I jacked the job with nothing to go to whilst working on, project, on this project with you and trying to do a little bit of freelancing here and there and get the money in. And I, and I realized I was going to run out of cash. So I took a job. I got hired. And... I'm grateful for that job for two reasons. One, because it, um, well, it saved me money-wise because it helped me earn proper money again. Got my career back on track. I learned loads, but of course it meant that, it's just funny, I, can, I said I can start my job, but in two weeks' time, I have to have two weeks off. <laughs> like, that's, a bit, that's a bit of a weird way to start a job. And I said, well, it's either that or I don't start until November. You choose because I've committed to something. I've told uh, my friend, Alan, we've created something together. And for me not to turn up and co-deliver that with him is, is not in the question. So take me or leave me. And that was, the, I sort of rolled the dice a bit because I was like thinking, you know, I've just been hired and now I'm telling you that I can't start for three months because I'm busy <laughs> working on a different business. Like it was a bit of a hard sell. Um, but for me, not showing up for you then, and that's what it was for me. It wasn't, I didn't feel like it was something that I, like I really wanted to do it, but that wasn't my driver. My driver was to show up for you. Oh, I love you, Simon. And it was Nothing kind of more. bittersweet, wasn't it? Running that course, having such an amazing time. And then you going off for a job. And then the next Monday I'm sat at home going, okay, what next? And you got this massive come down from running that course, the certificate, so at the end, the celebration, the MP came. The MP was like, this is amazing. This is incredible. Should be everywhere. And there's one long list of MP for everyone listening from uh, the United States of America and other countries is member of parliament. And it's like your local representative. So I guess it's like a senator or something like that. They would show up. They'd always tell us we were amazing. And then they would never do anything. And you'd never hear from them again. Uh, and that's happened throughout everything that we've been doing. And fact, yeah, I just remember like the Monday afterwards going, okay, that's ended. Simon's gone and got a job. What do I do now? And I had to kind of like figure out where to go, what to do, how to start. And uh, I remember watching a Gary Vaynerchuk video about how to sell on Twitter I was like, I'll give this a go. Um, so I spent a long time selling on Twitter and I sold the next the next pop-up business school through Twitter. And it was an event in Poplar 
and I had to find someone else to run it with me. I don't know if I asked you to like run the no, next didn't. one or whether, no, I just like Simon's gone. I need someone else to come and help me. And there's this guy called Mark Gittos. Uh, he'd run NLP courses. I liked him. He was a little bit crazy, but I liked him. Uh, and he agreed to run the next course with me. And we went up to, it was in Poplar, the housing association in Poplar. And it was the biggest course. Like it was a massive monumental moment. We had a hundred people show up, Simon, a hundred person course right at the beginning. It was huge. And it toured around this estate in East London. We had a different venue every day. It was just insane. And Mark Gittos ran it with me. He was incredible with people. He used to smoke, so he would he would go outside and smoke with people at the breaks and help fix their problems. And I would see the other people who stayed inside, the non-smokers, and uh, chat to them and help them launch businesses. I hired a comedian uh, who'd crashed out of corporate life to do a speech about how to get out of corporate life, Jan Jacks. Uh, she was just, she delivered a really funny talk and we made people laugh and we tried loads of innovative stuff. And I loved that course with Poplar. And I started running a few more with Mark Gittos. Uh, and then we were growing. We did the second one in Western Supermare. Michael Williams loved it. Didn't want to pay us anymore, <laughs> which considering we'd kind of made a loss more or less on the first course we'd run. Because we didn't, we like, but we didn't make enough money to properly live, and we needed to earn more to do it, and that was a challenging negotiation. But we did the second one, uh, and then things really started to change, and we had the meeting at Downing Street. My friend Ashley got us a meeting at Number Ten Downing Street with the Prime Minister's special advisor. Uh, and that was a huge, huge moment. You wore a suit for that. I wore a suit. We went up. And I remember like going through the special barriers with all the armed police officers and then into 10 Downing Street. And you're made to leave your telephone in one of these little cubby holes at the front because you can't take telephones in there. And they guided us through this office to wait for him. And the office was... Maggie Thatcher's old office and it still had one of her pictures on the wall and it was one of those paintings you know those paintings that no matter where you are in the room it's like they're staring straight through your soul that's because she is actually behind the picture it's her actual <laughs> eyes watching you it's not a painting it's it's like something from the Adams family you know it's like an actual human behind there oh man and that was a a game-changing meeting that led to another project in London. It led to an introduction to Ernst & Young, which I never managed to turn into anything. Uh, and it led to a, an introduction to the Department of Work and Pensions and all came through networking, that particular thing, which, like, at that stage, like, things were growing and my training business was going really well. I was training Microsoft how to present, communicate. I did a course called Coaching for Presence for them for about 10 years. I was making good money. I hired Henry. Talk about the biggest mistakes I've ever made. <laughs> 
Loves That's Henry. That's a joke, Henry. I love Henry. Um, hired Henry, the first person I'd ever hired. He would help me do my receipts and build websites and stuff like that. And things were starting to come together. And I remember reaching out to you and setting a dinner and saying, like, we need to chat. Will you come to Milton Keynes and meet me at an all-you-can-eat buffet to talk? That was your strategy, is to uh, offer me all of the food (laughs) and sort of get me into a comatose um, gluten state and then uh, and then hit me with a with a proposal which was so interesting and yeah it was a it was a great evening that one the food was a little questionable the I don't think you know rubbish. I <laughs> apologize for that restaurant it was dreadful it was the lowest quality food you could possibly imagine at a yeah let's never go there again I had high hopes though because when we were in western supermare I think we had curry every single night we uh, did I I turned back semi-fluent in Punjabi by the end of that course because <laughs> we had so much curry. <laughs> so yeah, that was that. Yeah, you um, you you got me back, and it was interesting because at that time, it, I was the the job that I was doing was very challenging. I I got promoted, was making the most money I've ever had in a in a job. I was traveling all over the world, staying in five-star hotels in New York, in Singapore, in Madrid, uh, you know, traveling everywhere and and really kind of, well, I was working with some of the world's most famous brands at a senior level. So I, it really taught me a whole bunch of things about how uh, big corporations worked and I was teaching collaborative leadership. So I learned a whole bunch of stuff about collaboration and about leadership. It really was fascinating. I learned loads. But also I was getting increasingly unhappy and I, did, I couldn't figure out why. And it, it, was, it was interesting because within about three, no, probably two months, two or three, it was March, I think, March, yeah, March 2015, within two months of leaving that company, I swapped raffles in Singapore for a community centre in one of the roughest parts of North London. And I was thinking to myself, how did this happen? Like, where's, where's my cocktails? No one's delivering my cocktails here. And we did a photo shoot that during that time as well, mm. which it, we looked like a really bad pop band, you, me and Henry. But yeah, no, good times. Interesting times. Very challenging because it was, uh, I got on very well with my old boss and I enjoyed the work. It was challenging work. And I think he he was gutted that that I was leaving and I was kind of gutted in a way, although I was desperate to come back to finish what you and I had started, but it was really hard to leave. It was a bit of a wrench. And I think it was, I think a lot of the reason looking back was just my own fear and uncertainty of going back to a place of, you know, where's the money coming from? We've got to get out of there and sell kind of thing. So it, it, it was a, it was a very difficult time. My, my ex was pregnant with our little one as well. So not only had I left this high paying job in a five star hotels around the world, yeah, my ex was pregnant with our third child and I was spending most evenings rocking gently, staring at the, the living room wall. <laughs> well, I remember asking you the question in that Milton Keynes buffet saying, how much do you need to come back? What do you need? Do you remember me asking that? I do remember that, yeah. That was over and, to uh, the dinner table. Yeah, you... You did some quick maths in your head. I saw you disappear for a second and you said 12 grand. And I was like, okay. 
uh, and I sent you 12 grand by transfer. Uh, and then it took you at least a month to quit your job to come. And I'm like, <laughs> I hello, I sent you the money. Are you coming? What's going on? It was like at least a month. I was like, hello, hello, hello. Are you coming? If only, if only I, I was bolder, Alan, I could have rung you from Singapore. <laughs> Alan, thanks for the 12 grand, but I'm not coming back. <laughs> I'm, I'm never coming back. And then you and I were on a sales train. Let's see what we can sell. Let's see what we can bring in. I went all in. We put everything into one business. I put all my training business into it. We went all in and that was the big start. That was the big start. And I'm so glad you quit. You took your time over it. You made me sweat for at least a month before you quit your job. Um, But then we were all in. And that was the real start of, I guess, pop-up business school. Like we'd made huge progress. We'd learned a lot. But that's where we really committed to building it. And I remember setting out that plan for we wanted to sell 25 courses at 20 grand a course to get half a million turnover. And that was the plan. That was where we were headed. We didn't hit that for several years afterwards, but that was the the dream and the goal. It took us three years to do it. In, uh, in two years, we got there in two years almost. We didn't quite, but I think in... It was like 480 uh, in, in two years. Yeah, and then, but in, but by the time we got to 2018, we were delivering about 38, 39 courses a year, uh, and we were delivering them in uh, America as well as the UK, uh, and one or two other exotic locations cropped up too. But in terms of the actual, our team, you know, our core team delivering stuff, we, we were flying to America and doing bits and pieces as well as what was happening in the UK, which is kind of cool. So I really want to know, and I'm sure everyone listening to this does, Simon, like, what did you learn from this experience of setting up Pop-Up Business School, which then became Rebel? What did you get out of it? What was the friction points working with me towards this that caused pain? How have you stuck with me for this long? I think it's... That's uh... a longer pause than I would have wanted. No, no, I was just, I was just thinking, like, what is the reason I'm stuck? With you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. What a bloody good question that is, Alan. Um, I don't know. I have to ring my therapist and find out what she wrote in her notes. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what? I think that's a big question you've asked me. I've gone all reflective because what have I learned? Um, that's a whole. That's a whole another episode in itself. I think the having a front row seat whilst, you know, 20,000 people from all walks of life, religious backgrounds, starting points, capability, education levels, chat life challenges, mental health problems. Yeah. And languages and, um, and so on facilitating a learning journey for them whilst they figure out how to make massive progress in their lives. And so, so for some of those people, watching them go through a life-changing experience has been amazing and a privilege but also alongside that the learning journey that we've both been on and how uh how both of us have got this mindset of well it's just results some things are good results some things are great results and some things are terrible results but they're all results and you and I relentlessly plug the learning back in 
to the courses, to how we deliver, to what we deliver. We are both relentless self-developers and, and, and learners. And I think that's why, I mean, I, I think that would be a, an interesting series to do is to download the knowledge of, um, of the stuff that we've developed, not just in terms of delivering training in an impactful way, how to think about starting a business differently, both in terms of, uh, from an enterprise development, economic development perspective, as well as for individuals starting, like I, the list is absolutely huge Al. And what I do know, I think one, of, I think one of the key reasons for me is you dragged me on an NLP course. No, I wasn't kicking and screaming, but I would never have found it. I didn't even know it existed. And you said, come on, let's go on this cool weekend with, Paul McKenna and the co-founder of NLP, Richard Bandler. Let's go and see what we can learn because we'll probably learn some stuff that will be able to help people on our courses. And I thought, yeah, that sounds cool. Let's go and do that. What I didn't realize at the time was I was in a bit of a pickle myself, what with one thing and another. And that set me on a, on a completely different course. And I've had my ups and downs and my own challenges over the last 10 years. But that was my first glimpse of a different way of approaching personal development and I, I actually, I actually think that the business uh, and all of the learning experiences that we've had and what I've thrown myself into and how you've supported in different ways, I actually think it probably saved me. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, I'm so invested in this business because not only has it given me the financial capability to continue that learning journey. And I've done like some really serious high level stuff in the last sort of year, 18 months, which is, been absolutely phenomenal and life-changing in itself but you know the the consistently teaching the same thing over and over again which includes this not only business stuff but life stuff like if you've got to stand up and deliver that like several times a year to large audiences you've got to really learn it yourself and that's the old saying isn't there the fastest way to learn something is to teach someone else so that yeah, in itself they will is- pick holes in it <laughs> They will sit there, pick holes in what you're saying. questions and all that, don't they? Like, what on earth are you asking me difficult questions for? So we have to learn it. And, and those, there, isn't, there isn't a single person that could come on one of, our, one of our programs or courses and ask me a question that I wouldn't know how to handle now. Whether it's about life, business, whatever it is, whatever challenges, like, I, could, I, I know what to do next. I know how to approach it. And that is a massive privilege. Uh, and... You know, I'm ever grateful to Rebel for, you know, for being at the helm of it is is just amazing. I love that. I love that was that. a really long answer. Do you wish you'd asked me like what your favourite football team is or something? Like, you must be thinking, shut up, Simon. Not really, because they're a rubbish team. Let's move on. Ouch. The I think what I'd love to do now, because we're going to wrap up the episode with the key points, is what can people practically take away from our story to help them get going? And I think I'll start with the first one because like this is what I've been dying to say. The success of Pop-Up Business School and our business is directly related to how good we got at sales. If we didn't sell anything, we didn't get any people to help, we didn't get money coming in, we didn't get to do what we wanted to do. We couldn't afford to go on self-development courses. Sales is the lifeblood of our business. And I think 
even to this day in 2022, sales has a bad reputation and a bad name for being something that's actually not that good. But sales changes the world. And if you're listening to this right now and you have a dream, you want to help do something good, change something, sales is how you do it. And you might call it a different word. You might call it persuasion. You might call it influence. You might call whatever you want. I don't really care. But it's selling an idea. It's selling something. It's getting the resources to do something. Sales makes the world go round. And the better we have got at sales, when James, who sells a lot of our courses, now joined, and I remember going around the country with him on sales meetings, like sales changed everything for us, Simon. The only reason we are where we are now, like, yes, we had to deliver afterwards. And if you deliver well, then you resell and you get on it. You have to still deliver, but sales is where it all starts. 100%. I don't disagree with that at all. And in fact, I guess to build on that, the, the sales, like I never used to like sales because I didn't understand what it was. And I felt it, it was hard. It was, I found it hard to get out the starting block. I found it hard to make mm-hmm. calls and send emails. And I had, I had someone from our team message me about his side hustle a couple of days ago. And, and he sent me a message saying, I've got a reply. Because I, I was coaching him on how to send a sales email. He said, I got a reply. And it said, thank you very much for your email, but we're too busy at the moment. We're not interested. Thank you. And, and he said, I hate rejection. I said, that isn't the rejection. You got a reply. It's not you the answer you wanted, but I, when I see that message, I go, wow, you got a reply. And guess what? You only sent one email and you got one reply. <laughs> That's unheard of. <laughs> Don't send one email, you muppet. You got to send 50. That's what I did in the early days in 2003, business number one. I sent one email, didn't get a reply, got depressed for two weeks and didn't do anything. You know, I think that's the bit for me is the, is that it's, it is about sales, but it's also getting to love sales. And I think that that's one of the things like this, I haven't got enough hours and then I'd sell all day if I, if I had the, the, the time, because I absolutely love it now because that's, that's because I understand my business, but I also in particular understand what sales is like you taught me in the early days is the transfer of excitement from one person to another. And if you're not excited about your business, nobody else is going to be. That to me is one of the reasons why we're so good at selling is because we're pumped for what we do. Because I know it makes a difference because I'm excited to get out there and make a difference. I want to do it. Uh, so that was the, one of the biggest things that I learned through that first period. So one of the most painful lessons I had launching pop-up business school was learning how to sell to grow the business and to make it happen. What else did you learn, Simon, through this first period? I think looking looking back on that first period now, and I, it's only with the benefit of hindsight, really, and, and a sort of a 10-year ten, ten set of reverse binoculars, there's something about not being fixed on an idea of what your business may or may not become. Because I think, you know, if we'd have even had a vision that was anything other than school, college, university leaves hundreds of thousands of people behind and doesn't teach what what people need to be successful in life. That was as far as the vision went, really. I think we had this idea of 
of a I business I wanted to course. change how enterprise was taught. I wanted to change. Yeah, based like, on the crap really experience strong. I'd had, I wanted to change the way this stuff was taught. I think people get too hung up over the the way that that vision is going to be delivered. They confuse purpose with outcome, you know. And I think what we did is we said we're just going to sell one and see what we learn and see if we like it and see if it works and see if the customer customers the, you know, the client that, that sponsors it liked it see if the people that came like it and i remember just going all in on project number one without any expectation of there being a project two or three i mean it would be cool but but i think lots of people start a business thinking well this is going to be my brand name this is my shop front this is my marketing strategy this is my this and this is my that i think so actually starting with sales you know have a dream but go and sell one because up until that point it's fictitious i think we made it real quickly and i think that to me is the difference between what we did and what lots of people do when they get stuck because they don't get the results we made it real very quickly with a sale we're back to sales again so I think my closing message to everyone listening to this is if you're listening to this going, I've always dreamt of this, I've always wanted to do this, or even if you've started a business, but you've ended up in a business you don't want to do and you're thinking, well, I want to change to this, just sell one, just make it real, just do one, just give one away. Like giving one away, doing it for free with someone will teach you whether you want to do it, whether they want to do it. It's the action piece. And as we've grown 10 years into running Rebel Business School now, I still come back to it, Simon. Action, making it real. For our 10-year anniversary, my dream was to do a course to teach people how to build an extraordinary life. And it was hard to get it going. It was hard to get action happening. Like everyone said, that's a great idea, but it was still like, okay, we've got to do it. We've got to make it. It's got to happen. And I think I find it fascinating that people find it so hard to start creating and make things real. And that, that's what I'd love to say to everyone out there. If you have an idea, if you have a dream, create it, build it, make it real, put it online, sell it. That is how you change your world and other people's worlds. I love it, Al. I was just thinking, like, what if my closing thought would be is to don't don't go to a, a uh, multiple food Asian buffet uh, with pizza and lasagna in Milton Keynes. That, like, especially if you like going to Raffles in Singapore. That would be my main takeout. <laughs> your main takeout is don't go for dinner with Alan if you like your life. <laughs> do you know what it's ever so funny you say that because my old boss from business link um uh i invited him out for lunch shortly after i left business link i said i come out for lunch and he said no i said all oh, right okay um like i said i'm paying you know he said i don't want to come out for lunch with you uh, and i said why not he said because you're dangerous and, I, and I, <laughs> he said if i go out for lunch with you i'll get inspired to do things like and i've got a really comfortable life and I really like my my house and I'm kind of bought into my mortgage right now. And if I, I'm going to end up leaving my job to be a photographer or something. And I went, yep. <laughs> 
Simon, we've got a lot more of the story to tell. We kind of dropped off at like 2013 or 14 when you came, whenever it was, 15 when you came back. And we'll do a second episode that tells more of the story of Rebel Business School, which I'm sure there will be lots more insights for everyone listening to this. Um, I just want to say to everyone listening to the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast, thank you for joining on this journey. It's coming to the end of 2022. I'm so glad you've joined us on this journey. You listen to the podcast. You're here with us. Uh, A huge amount of you are on the Extra extraordinary life course right now that Simon, my wife, Katie, and I are running. You've been on Rebel Finance School, and our mission in 2023 is to continue to create cool content that inspires you and helps you create the life of your dreams. And I don't care whether that's building a business, getting your finances in order, traveling the world, or building a yurt at the top of a mountain and living with a goat. I don't care what your version of extraordinary is, we want to help you build it. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Simon Payne, thank you for choosing to come back and run this business with me uh, and giving up on those drinks delivered to five-star hotels. There's still time. (laughs) Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure. You are a legend. And to everyone listening, start to make it real. If you had an idea in your head, let's make it real. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.